Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Before we dive into the show, I just want to update you and let you know that the feedback I got on our last episode has been truly incredible. I thank you so much and I encourage you to keep reaching out and keep spreading the word about the show. Thank you so much for sending me referrals and keeping me busy with my podcasting, production, launching, and monetizing services. I'm also so excited to share with you that I just had my shoot for the Hanukkah music video yesterday and that I'm heading to Scottsdale, Arizona next week for the She Podcast Live conference where I'll be speaking about monetizing the mic. I'm super excited about that. On this episode, we will be discussing the interesting dynamics that kosher restaurants have to deal with in addition to struggling as a restaurant establishment when it comes to serving communities with food and dealing with staffing issues due to COVID-19 and adding, in addition to that, dealing with heicherim, hashgacha, and communal expectations and how that affects businesses, I think this is a super interesting episode. And I want to add a disclaimer that despite our guest Elon being under the weather with a sore throat, we thank him so much for coming on and sharing his inside scoop on the kosher industry. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Francisco Show podcast. Today with us, we have Elon Kornblum, the CEO and founder of GreatKosherRestaurants.com. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about kosher restaurants and kosher food with you in general. A friend of mine and a fan jokingly remarked how all the topics we talk about are super serious, sexual abuse, feminism, we have all kinds of Jewish topics, and then there's kosher restaurants in the midst of that. But to me, kosher restaurants is a big topic and a big issue as an Orthodox Jew because I choose to live in a more out-of-town community because of the lifestyle it provides with more space to be an individual and raise your kids in a less conformed way. However, the flip side of that is we have less options for kosher restaurants. We have less options for kosher groceries. And as much as it's frustrating for me, it's so fascinating for me to go and listen and find out what's going on there behind the scenes, what it's like to be in the kosher industry. What are their challenges? I know starting a restaurant in general is one of the worst businesses to go into, but and add kosher to it, it's much worse because you're paying a premium with the food and the hechsherim. So welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background before we get into the knitting gritty. Okay, so about uh, 20 years ago, uh, a chance um, meeting with someone who does a little bit of the this in the non-kosher world, I happened to meet. I was already in advertising. I was already working in Manhattan, selling commercial time. So I was already in marketing. I went. I studied for that in Brooklyn College. I actually did business with Brooklyn College Bookstore. When I was a student, I started getting ads around the college and selling planners, college planners, to the bookstore with ads and the whole calendar of information to the college while I was a student. So I always had like an entrepreneur in my blood. And so I started working for a private firm in Manhattan, a media firm. 
And then I uh, met someone who kind of does something similar for non-kosher. And I thought this was a great idea for the kosher. As you mentioned, kosher, yeah, we, we definitely have a niche market. It's a very targeted market. Sometimes we take it for granted that what we have. But it used to be 20 years ago, there wasn't any magazine. There wasn't anything that highlighted beautiful restaurants with color, with visual. This was way before Facebook, way before Instagram, where people got maybe an address and a phone number, and that's it. So what I wanted to do was kind of highlight the beauty of kosher restaurants and get people talking about it. So I started a magazine uh, called Great Kosher Restaurants Magazine, glossy magazine, beautiful coffee table book, 250 pages, and people were loving it. It was way ahead of its time. People were discussing restaurants at the coffee table. It was a coffee table book that really helped myself and in general the restaurants to kind of get people to see what the restaurant looks like, to understand what they offer. And so it got people talking and did that for about 12 years. Thank God was successful and it was it was a hard work putting magazines out. The publishing world is, is very interesting. But then social media happened and I got on the bandwagon just when it started. And so started doing my Facebook page and I had my website for, for many years before, but really what changed was my Facebook group. Started this Facebook group about six, seven years ago when groups started to happen. There was no restaurant group that people can talk about restaurants. And we're here today with over 61,000 members. It's the largest Jewish, not only kosher, but the largest Jewish Facebook group in the world. And we talk about restaurants, we talk about food, we talk about life, we talk about become a family. Someone who needs to heal them, send for them, we'll put it out there. Someone who lost uh, a relative, whether it's in the restaurant industry, we'll talk about it. Obviously, dealing with Surfside, I'm here now in Florida. And we're dealing with that. And we, we talk about that and how we help through food. Food is the common denominator, I think, with everyone, with every human being. We all need to eat. We all like food. We all think we know about food. We all like to give our opinion about food. And so I think whether we talk about restaurants, food, it, it's something, a universal language that we all talk about and i think through that it's through restaurants and, and helping them we've built this platform where we, we hope to help we hope to learn from each other and grow as a as a consumer as a human being as a jew and i'm proud of what we've done that's so beautiful thank you and what's the business model here do you charge restaurants to be featured yeah. I charge restaurants for marketing and consulting. I am a person who puts out information. I will not say this is the best restaurant. I will not say this is the worst restaurant. I will say, what are their hours? What are their specials? Your platform. We're a platform of information. We help consult someone who doesn't know how to run a restaurant, who doesn't know what customers are thinking. We help them navigate through this very, very 
strange, complicated world of restaurants, of customer service. I'm almost a liaison between a customer and an owner trying to help them. So if they have a bad time, we'll try to fix it. So what would you say the biggest challenges or what are the ingredients, pun intended, to a successful kosher restaurant? Service. Service is the number one most important thing over food. I'll tell you why. If someone goes to a restaurant and they don't like the food or what they had, but the service was good, they had a nice experience, they might say, you know what, maybe that dish wasn't for me. Maybe I'll try something else. I'll come back. But if they go and if the food is even good, but the service is lousy, if it takes a long time to get their food, or their, the waiter was rude, or they just had a terrible experience, they're not going to go back. They'll say, I'll go to a different restaurant. But a lot of times they'll go out because they want to get away from their house. They want to experience something. And they just want to have a good time. Right. So I always tell people, the restaurants, service, service, service. Even better than location, because if you're a good restaurant, people will find you. If you have a destination spot, people will find you. So service is the most important. Thank you. This is from the customer end. And as a customer, I totally relate to this. Service is very important. And if I didn't like the food, I'll probably blame myself for trying something that wasn't for me. Well, I won't do that per se, but I will give the benefit of the doubt and try something else next time because I did have a nice experience. And you'll, and you'll tell the restaurant why you didn't like it so they can fix it. It's easier to fix a dish than fix service. True. And with service, there is an opportunity to share that. But on the other end of the restaurants themselves, as consumers, we don't know what's going on. So what are the challenges? Why isn't it as simple as setting up shop and having food? What are some of the things that restaurants have to deal with? Why is it so hard to produce good, fresh food on a consistent basis? Right. I would hope that most do. But you're dealing with many people. It's not like you're cooking for yourself in your house. It's not like you're cooking for your family, where you know what they like, what's going to happen. In a restaurant, you wake up, waiter could be sick. A chef could, could have a personal problem and not show up. Or an ingredient is, is short. Right now, there's a big shortage of chicken and, and oil. It's, the prices are very high. There's a million things that can go wrong in a restaurant uh, you have to deal with. The uh, air conditioning is not working. The health violations, God forbid, that you that you have to make sure you have to fix. There's, there's a, probably a hundred different to-do lists that you have to do every day that you got to make sure you, you're going to be able to provide good food. And again, it's like an orchestra, you know, with all these different parts that are moving together that have to work in like a symbiotic way to really get the, the food on the table to the customer. So everything that happens before the food gets on the table is what goes into it. You have to have a good chef. You have to have a good menu. You have to have good food. Do you have any advice for restaurants that come to you and tell you that they have a staffing issue due to COVID, people are getting more in unemployment than at work. How do you help them? 
staff. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it so bad than what it is now. For the last couple of months, I've been asked every day, without fail, from a restaurant owner looking for a chef, a manager, a waiter. It's, it's really very, very difficult. Some restaurants have to close early because if you have staff that comes in at nine in the morning for prep, if they have lunch and that person doesn't want to stay till seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, so they have to close early. And that's why the, the consumers have to be extra nice and extra respectful, knowing that some of these waiters are on 12 hour shifts. Well, I understand you're not going to solve the employment crisis post-COVID on one episode here. Let's dive deep into the Heksher business. I know it's highly political. It's very expensive. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes that no one really knows about. That's why it's so expensive to eat kosher. Just going from the supermarket and then you're paying, obviously, a premium in the restaurant as well. Just for anyone listening, the OU supports all their initiatives from their Heksher department, meaning the kosher is paying for everything else that they're doing. That's how lucrative it is. So can you talk about your experience? I want people to understand, first of all, that why is it, and this goes back to why it's difficult as a kosher restaurant as opposed to a non-kosher restaurant. Think about it. A kosher restaurant has to close almost 100 days out of the year, okay? Most times they're either closed Friday or Saturday, sometimes both. It's a meat restaurant. They're not going to be open really Friday. During the winter, maybe they'll be open. But for sure, in the summer, it's very difficult to be open. You have Yontif, but they're closed most times. Fast days, they're closed as well. A third of the year, imagine. So that's very difficult. The reason why the supervisions, yes, we, we are Jewish, we are religious, we, we go to restaurants that are supervised because we need to trust that the restaurant is making kosher food, whatever is being brought in is kosher. People think, oh, it's what's not kosher about vegetables or, or chicken if they buy it from a, a kosher supplier. First of all, you don't know what the waiter brings in from McDonald's, God forbid, and eats it right where they're making kosher food, or the same knife that they're using to cut their kosher food is used to cut something else. So Mashkiach has to make sure what goes in to the restaurant is just as important as what goes into your mouth. And the Mashkiach has to clean the lettuce and the greens. It takes hours for them to do that. It's very painstaking to do, but what's what we do? The whole role of the supervision is very interesting. We debate this every day on the group. What's their role? Is the role just about the food? Is it about the music? Is it about the ambiance? What is their role when when it comes to a restaurant? So it's, it's a difficult thing. You know, the, the supervision is in a very sensitive situation. Their constituents are really driving the bus, meaning that the rabbis are, let's say the Vod, the Vod of each town is made up of different rabbis in the community. And their members of their shuls are what, what 
allows them to kind of do what they do. And if we're dealing with a supervision that's more complicated or more difficult, it's because their members want that. And if their members want that, then they have to do it. The members are the boss. So if the, if the rabbis are doing one way because as a whole, the members want that. So it's not the rabbi is trying to make these laws because the rabbi wants to put pressure on the restaurant. It's because the members as a whole want that. Are you yeah. giving an example like an ice cream shop in Muncie won't give a heksher unless it's only for takeout because they don't want it to be a hangout? Is that what you are referring to? The people of Muncie might say it's not a place that, okay, whether you, you agree or disagree, this is what maybe the, the members of the community don't want it to be a hangout if you're asking for this example. And so the, the supervision, maybe they're the ones who are are guiding the restaurant and say, I'm sorry, you can't be open late at night because we don't want it to be a hangout. It's a difficult position, but why are they saying that? Because maybe the members don't want that. When we deal with supervisions, so many moving parts. It's not like the, the rabbis are in a difficult position. People, God forbid, call them names. I hate when they call them mafia. I hate when they're... they're you're talking about rabbis who you normally would be respectful in a shul, and you call them names when it comes to supervisions. I'm always trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to do the right thing, not just for individuals, but for a community. We might not understand why, but we have to trust that they're doing the right thing for the overall community. One thing I do wish is that they're more transparent. A lot of times they might put out a statement that's very vague and it will let people kind of talk rumors. And what do they mean by that? Why were they dropped? Were they dropped because it was a pastorate violation or were they dropped because they went to a different supervision or it was too expensive? Communication is the key. I remember this episode from Leah Forster's life. She was supposed to do a comedy. You, you're probably familiar with this in a restaurant. And then yes, well, you're really said, getting into it. Well, you're defending the community so much. And a lot of the issues in the community are because there are no female leadership representation in things that affect women. I'm talking here in defense of restaurant owners who want to be able to have a profit at the end of the day so they can provide their valuable service to the community. If they are going to be and, and controlled by community, they already have so many high standards to adhere to. They have to satisfy their customers. They have to provide service and great food, and they have to pay premium food on kosher restaurants and deal with staffing issues. Why are we imposing communal expectations on them attached with a heksher, attached with communal support or the permission for people to eat there? Why can't it just be about kosher food? Why can't we create a system where from owners can partner with non-Jews so they can be open on days that kosher restaurants can't be open so they can be more profitable? Why can't we find these loopholes in a halacha? And I don't, I'm using loopholes here loosely because that's not the point. But why can't be more supportive 
You have people who are providing and helping the Jewish community instead of politicizing, using control and power, and ultimately raising the prices on the Jews who already are trying to afford tuition and marrying off their children. And I'm not saying everybody needs to eat out all the time, but it does affect the the price of kosher meat at the grocery store. And it affects how much it's going to cost to cater your wedding for your child. So this does affect everyone in a big way. So a couple of things. One is uh, there are restaurants that are open on Shabbos that do have a supervision. They're not owned by, they're owned by non-Jews or they don't donuts. Some people go to them and some people don't. So that's, that's their choice. In terms of allowing the community to dictate what we do, it's a slippery slope. I look at it both sides. You know, I understand the position that some of the owners are in of like, just let us do what we want and let us serve kosher food. But again, I understand the other side where it can't be just anything goes. You can't have music where there's cursing. So there's a slippery slope. So where do we where do we draw the line? We're Jews. We have rules. We have certain things that we abide by, and it's a structure. So if we have music, we allow music, which is oh, fine. Most places have music, but whether that's a, again, it's a vile lyrics, is that okay? Does the supervision have a, a right to say, I'm sorry, you can't have these lyrics? So what happens is, again, is you give them a little bit, and they take a lot. This is with life. This is with human nature. Let's give an example of the lyrics. So if you have music and you have sometimes, let's say, whether it's Muncie or more of the other Haredi communities where maybe music is not allowed because maybe English music, it might be a slippery slope to more things. And, you, and it might be, lead to the lyrics that are, that are not appropriate. So I, I think every community needs to kind of decide for themselves I do think there should be, like I said, more transparency, more representation from women. I have absolutely, I think it, there should be a dialogue with every person in the community to, to have their voice heard. I believe in that wholeheartedly. At the end of the day, we need to trust those in charge. So the Leah Forster thing. I was giving you a more extreme example of using control. So Leah is a good friend of mine. I don't agree with what happened. I think it could have been handled so much better. That, that was my problem. And at the end of the day, if the rabbis have a rule or whatever it is, I, I do respect that. But how we get to that and explain and to show people why they came up with this and, and have a dialogue is, is very important. People need to communicate better. And if once we are on the same page, whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. But you need to kind of communicate and not push the other person aside and say, I don't care what you think. Let's talk about it. And you might not agree with me, but if as long as we're talking about it, that's the most important thing. And for anyone listening who doesn't know about what happened with the Leah Forster situation, can you... Share. So Leah wanted to perform at a kosher restaurant. And once it found out that Leah is an open lesbian, and once the rabbis found out, they didn't allow it. Um, I don't think 
anyone's sexual orientation is anyone's business. And if she came as a comedian, as a rabbi standpoint, if someone came and was cursing, right, and there had language for their set, I think the rabbi shouldn't allow it either. But as long as the content is on point and it's a private event, then yes, I think there should have been a talk with the restaurant, with the comedian, to say, listen, I'm coming in as a comedian. I'm I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to talk about my sexual orientation. I'm coming to entertain, and that's it. So I agree that it wasn't handled well. The rabbi is going to say, oh, we're going to get flack from the community. And so this is that this is that dialogue that I was talking about. Is it's a very very touchy situation where the rabbis would have probably did get pressure from their constituents. They did get calls from people saying you can't allow it. I just don't think it was handled well. So, do you think the rabbis have too much power when it comes to controlling? the Jewish communal spaces, maybe when people go to them and ask them for a heksher or ask them for a lachik shayla, that's when they should answer. Do you think this is necessary? Do you think this is healthy for the future of our Jewish community? Whereas this, as you said earlier, more mafia-like, maybe unhealthy, and it's creating more alienation. And maybe more modern people will want to look for more modern or more alternative ways to feed themselves or cater their events because they don't want to support a system that's so controlling in a way that's not necessarily halacha. It's more cultural. So I I mentioned that I don't like the word mafia and I I don't think it is a mafia, but it's a horrible comparison, God forbid. With The question is, what's their role? What should their role be based on your experience? I think their role should be to represent a Jewish way of life. I don't think it's just about the food. I know it may not be a popular opinion, but I know they need to know what's going on. They need to know who's in their restaurant because at the end of the day- well, why, represents- why don't we give agency to restaurant owners to make good business decisions for themselves? Why are we putting it in the hands of rabbis? I don't think it should be all of the rabbis. Owners- need to speak to the rabbis, which they do. There's so many times that a mashkiach, a rava machshir, has asked me, saying, Ilan, just call me and I'll explain it. I'll, I'll tell you why we did it like this. And you might not agree, but you need to understand what, what they're saying. So do I think that they should have all this control? No. I don't think anyone should have total control. I think people need to understand both sides. So we understand what they're going through, what their obstacles are, what their thinking is. There should be better opportunities for us to learn on both sides. And a customer should have a right to understand what the rabbi is saying. And the rabbi should understand what the customer and the owner is thinking. That's the only way we're going to get somewhere. Thank you so much for coming on to this. Sorry if I pushed you too hard. No, no, I love it. I thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you for being on the show, Elon. 
Thank you for sticking around until the end. I hope you enjoyed this show. And if you did, make sure to tell a friend about it and go check the backlog. Listen to some other episodes. Also, if you know anyone who needs help with their podcast, launching, producing, monetizing their podcast, please do send them my way. I really appreciate the business. This is how you support the show. Also, make sure to go onto jewishcoffeehouse.com and check out the incredible podcasts and content that's being produced for you. I hope you have a great week. You know how to reach me. See you next time.